All right. Hello, everyone. Uh, greetings. Uh, welcome to our uh, greetings to our West Campus and our Traditions venue, as well as our 15th Street Campus. Really, really glad that all of you are here. Big weekend for us, uh, Serve Day weekend. Uh, we served, uh, many of you were involved. We served uh, six schools today, and and uh, I'm a little sore, but no, it was a good, good uh, weekend, and for that, serving. So thanks to those of you who participated. Before we jump into the message, I want to introduce you to our new pastor of student ministries. Uh, we have been doing a search for a number of months, and we found our guy. Nate, come on up here. Found our guy. Uh, Nate Davis and his wife, Jillian, um, and their four daughters come from California. Let's welcome them. Hey, man. <laughs> Tons of, uh, Nate has tons of ministry experience and leadership giftings, but more than anything, more important than anything, he loves Jesus and he loves students. He loves kids. And uh, he's going to be working with our middle school uh, and senior high students. And, um, and so um, he'll be available at 15th Street here um, in the lobby after uh, service. And so I encourage you, Christ community, welcome him. Okay. So I wanted to take a moment and just so you know who this guy is, but also to pray for him. So let me lead us in prayer. Father, thank you uh, for Nate. Thanks for bringing him here for Jillian and their four daughters. And um, thank you for just the journey that they're on and the way that you have brought this about. And we pray for this man and his ministry here, for all of them, their ministry here. Lord, you would pour out your spirit upon him. You would fill him and use him. Lord, our heart, we love our, our students and we pray for this ministry to, to thrive and flourish and for our students to grow in you and in impacting this community. And so we pray blessing upon Nate now. Fill him and use him. Thanks, God, for bringing him to Christ's community. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Thanks, God bless you, brother. Yep. So I, uh, I like to listen to different kinds of music, but I, I'm on this country music kick right now. Um, and I kind of have a man crush on Dan and Shay. But um, one, of, um, one of the things that I, I, I enjoy about country music is that many times in the songs, there's sort of a story. They're telling a story. I mean, usually it's about beer and trucks and blue jeans or whatever, but still there's a story. And what I, what I love especially is when the story being told in a particular psalm connects with my story, right? With how much I love my wife or how I need to slow down and enjoy the simple things in life. And whatever type of music that you listen to, I think we all can agree there is something so powerful about songs that connect with your story, with your pain, with your dreams. Well, the Bible has an entire playlist of songs that connect powerfully with our story. And that playlist is known as the Psalms. In the Psalms, we see people struggling with real issues in life and yet doing so with an open heart before God, right? So during the summer, we've been looking at, at various Psalms and talking about how we can experience God when we feel depressed or when we feel attacked or tempted or when we feel doubtful of, of God's goodness. Well, today and next week, these are big topics here. We're going to focus on two huge issues going on in people's lives. Um, one is anxiety, um, which we're going to talk about next week um, when I feel anxious. And if you want to prepare for that, uh, we're going to be in Psalm 27. So you can be reading that and praying through that this coming week, Psalm 27. Um, the other issue 
that is rampant in our society today is anger. We live in an age of anger. There is intense political anger and racial anger. There is an outrage, this outrage culture of social media, right? People looking for something to be offended about, something that gets them triggered, and then going on social media and saying things that they would never say to a person face-to-face, right? We have shootings, we have road rage, all of which are fueled by anger. Anger is everywhere, and it's destroying us. Anger is destroying relationships. It's destroying workplaces. It's destroying and impacting families. It is taking a toll on people's physical and emotional health. I mean, it breaks my heart to see the devastation that anger is causing in people's lives. Now, it's easy for me to pontificate about what's wrong with our society. But if I'm honest, I have to admit, I've got anger things going on. I was playing in a golf men's league about a month ago. You know, golf, that really relaxing game, right? And, um, and a guy I had just met and was playing with said something kind of rude to me. And it made me mad. And I kind of smarted back to him. And I could just feel this anger rising in me. And after that, I couldn't even enjoy the round. I mean, he was in my head. I could not enjoy the round. And, you know, I, I, I stewed. In fact, I stewed on that one interaction for probably a few days, maybe even longer, just kind of stewing on that. And you know what? I don't want to live that way. I don't want to live that way. Where anger robs me of joy and damages relationships. And, and I'm guessing most of us here don't want to either. We, we all see the damage that happens when anger is not dealt with in a healthy way, when it goes unchecked in our lives. And so I want to talk about, I want us to talk here about how we can deal with our anger in a way that's actually life-giving and honoring to God, rather than in a way that just leaves brokenness and devastation all around us. So feel free to turn to Psalm 109, Psalm 109. In this Psalm, which was written by King David, David is angry, to put it lightly. I mean, in this Psalm, we're going to see some smack talk on steroids, okay? Uh, So let's start in verse one and find out what has David so steamed. My God, whom I praise, do not remain silent. For people who are wicked and deceitful have opened their mouths against me. They have spoken against me with lying tongues. With words of hatred, they surround me. They attack me without cause. In return for my friendship, they accuse me. But I am a man of prayer. They repay me evil for good and hatred for my friendship. See, notice, I mean, no wonder here David is ticked. People are lying about him. They are attacking him verbally, slandering his reputation, even his friends have turned against him. When he is nice to them, they're rude to him, right? They're repaying him evil for good. I mean, this is, this is David's perception. His friends may have a totally different perspective. Maybe they're angry at David for something that he did to them. We don't know. We're only seeing this through the lens of David's heart, which is an important thing for us to realize. We can only be responsible for our own reactions. Our perception is our reality. And so that's where God wants us to deal with this and to face this. I mean, at some level, we can't control what other people are doing. 
right? We can't control what other people are doing. I can't control that jerk on the golf course I was playing with, right? We can only control how we are responding. And as we've seen all along in the Psalms, that control that we have is a heart issue. David is wrestling with these enemies, but his ultimate battle is the inner me. See, that's where all of us have to deal with our anger if we want to walk in freedom in this area. So what does David reveal to us in this psalm about his anger and how he deals with it in his, in his heart and his life? Well, I want to highlight three things here that can help us deal with our anger and minimize the damage that it's capable of doing in every area of our life. So first thing David does, and he shows us, is this, acknowledge your anger. Acknowledge your anger. See, when it, when it comes to anger, there are one of two approaches that we as humans instinctively take. Attack or avoid. Attack or avoid. The attack response to anger is to explode. Just let it out. You know, vent your anger. Direct it towards anything or anyone near you, your spouse, the dog, a wall, the person who just cut you off in traffic. You have no problem just kind of letting people know what, how you feel that you're mad. And you know, when, you, when you feel anger, you just express it. Attack. Now, there's actually a more subtle form of the attack mode, um, and that's referred to as passive aggression, right? It's where we think we are not being angry, but we're angry. We're just letting it out in more subtle ways, right? The cold shoulder technique or sarcasm is often masking um, anger. It's a passive aggressive response to anger. But all of these, they're over here. They're, they're, they're attack responses. And, and, they, and they tend to be how some of us just instinctively deal with our anger. The other common response to anger is, is especially in Christian circles, um, is avoidance. Because we think this is more spiritual, right? Just ignore your anger. Stuff your anger. Keep it hidden. Don't let anyone see that you're angry. I mean, so many of us, so many here, maybe, maybe you learned this approach in your family of origin. Right? Many people learn this. Where, where silence was the way anger was dealt, dealt with. Just cold silence. You knew mom or dad, you knew they were mad at you, but they weren't saying anything, right? They just didn't do anything. This got really quiet. And so you learned anger is not something to deal with or face or acknowledge. Just kind of keep it hidden. Just kind of stuff it. So anger is... It's a lot like a beach ball, okay? Anger's a lot like a beach ball. I mean, if you're playing with a beach ball in the pool and everything, if you try to submerge a beach ball, how long can you keep a beach ball submerged? Not very long. I mean, it takes some effort. You get it between your legs or whatever, and you can, for a while, you can kind of keep it submerged. But eventually, what's going to happen? It is going to pop out. It just is. It's going to pop out of the water, and, and it usually does so with some significant force, right? And that's exactly what happens when we try to submerge, when we try to ignore our anger. It eventually pops out, usually with some force, verbal force or physical force, and afterwards we're like, where did that come from? I can't believe I did that. I can't believe I said that. Where did that come from? It almost scared us. Well, it came from the fact that we're trying to submerge, keep this submerged. And we think we can do a good job. And then all of a sudden, boop, there it comes. Other times it pops out in, in depression, 
You know, depression is often anger turned inward. Or it can pop out in a critical spirit, just judgmental kind of negative stuff all the time. But it always comes out. It always comes out in some way. Eventually, it comes out in some way. So then what do we do when it, when it pops out? We just try harder to keep it submerged. Oops, let me just go back to the old, you know, try to submerge it, keep it submerged. That's just how we deal with it. Now, David doesn't do either one of those things um, in, in this psalm. He doesn't avoid his anger, nor does he kind of um, hide his anger, nor does he really aggressively attack. Now, what he does is acknowledge his anger to the Lord. So look with me beginning in verse 6. I almost feel like this passage needs a warning label. Um, so here we go. Appoint someone evil to oppose my enemy. Let an accuser stand at his right hand. When he is tried, let him be found guilty and may his prayers condemn him. May his days be few. May another take his place of leadership. May his children be fatherless and his wife a widow. May his children be wandering beggars. May they be driven from their ruined homes. May a creditor seize all he has. May strangers plunder the fruits of his labor. May no one extend kindness to him or take pity on his fatherless children. May his descendants be cut off, their names blotted out from the next generation. May the iniquity of his fathers be remembered before the Lord. May the sin of his mother never be blotted out. May their sins always remain before the Lord that he may blot out their name from the earth. Man, they don't write worship songs like they used to, do they? Man. I mean, these, these psalms, they were actually sung in the synagogue. These songs, these psalms were sung in worship services. Can you imagine that? It's your breath in our lungs, so please don't take pity on their fatherless children. It's your breath. I mean, I just can't even imagine that. Honestly, we don't know what to do with this passage. We don't know what to do with a passage like this. Some of us are kind of embarrassed and shocked it's even in the Bible. I mean, aren't we supposed to love our enemies and be good to those who hurt us and persecute us? Absolutely. But those actions, loving your enemies, being good, those actions say nothing about the work that has to be done in our hearts before we ever get there. See, genuine love for our enemy does not come from stuffing our anger and pretending nothing happened. See, what David is doing is acknowledging to the Lord that he's angry. He is, David is owning it. He is telling God what he thinks God ought to do with these evil people. And, and, and before we get too uncomfortable about this, let's not forget that God says in his word that he will punish evil and wickedness. I take great comfort in the fact that God is going to punish ISIS members who spread violence and evil. I take great comfort that God will judge the evils of sex trafficking and racism and ethnic cleansing and infanticide and senseless violence. There, there is such a thing as righteous anger. And God is appropriately angry about these kinds of evils. And you know what? We ought to be glad that he is. <laughs> we ought to be glad. Would, would we want to worship a God who couldn't care less about child abuse? Is that a God worth worshiping? Of course not. We are glad. We are glad that he's angry about these things. And we ought to be angry about these things. As his followers, we ought to be angry. We ought to be angry about racism and injustice and people abusing their power to hurt others. 
But we also need to recognize that God is able to handle righteous anger a lot better than we are. A lot better than we are. So we need to be very careful uh, even about our righteous anger. Because often even our righteous anger and our unrighteous anger, they take us to places that are unhealthy. And the foundational reason that our anger goes to unhealthy places is what we're talking about right here. It's our unwillingness to acknowledge our anger. The first step in dealing with our anger is owning it, acknowledging it. I'm guessing that some of us here have never dealt with or faced or admitted our anger toward one of our parents growing up who abandoned us in some way or who demonstrated anger towards us or who abused us, or maybe we've never dealt with a relative, a brother, sister, or we were grown up who abused us in some way. We've just learned to stuff it. And now we're 48 years old or we're 55 years old and we think, oh, that's just dealt with. <laughs> no, we've never acknowledged our anger, but we've never just looked at it, acknowledged it. It's too painful, honestly. So we just keep it hidden. We've perfected it for decades just kept it hidden. But it's just like the beach ball. It is just like the beach ball. It doesn't stay hidden. I don't care how many decades we're talking about. It doesn't stay hidden. That anger, that rage, it leaks out in all sorts of unhealthy ways. Depression, critical spirit, fits of rage, self-hatred, bitterness, headaches, heartburn, insomnia. I mean, I wonder, I wonder how many of the physical symptoms that we as humans experience and go to our doctor for and, and take medication for are actually rooted in unacknowledged anger. See, Western medicine typically only treats the symptoms. Oh, your stomach hurts here, take this. Oh, you got a headache, take this. It just treats the symptoms. But sometimes our physical issues are rooted in anger that's being ignored and, or stuffed rather than honestly acknowledged. And our bodies were never intended to, be, to have that, to have that going on, that kind of unacknowledged anger going on. It's never intended. Okay, so once our anger is acknowledged, we own it. There's a second thing that we've got to do with our anger, and that is we must look beneath our anger. You got to look beneath your anger. See, often we view anger as the problem. Oh, I have anger issues. You know, someone might say, no, 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 no. <laughs> no, it's, you don't have anger issues. You don't have anger issues. See, anger is always an indicator of something else going on. Anger is a secondary emotion, or someone said anger is a masking emotion. In other words, anger always masks more vulnerable emotions. So anger is like a warning light. Because it's a masking emotion, it's like the warning light on the dashboard of, of our car. So when a warning light comes on, on our dashboard, our instinctive response is not, oh, I got to fix that warning light. I have warning light issues. I got to go take it in and fix the warning light. No, the warning light's purpose is to let you know that something under the hood is not right. That's the purpose of the warning, of the warning light. Anger is not the problem. 
Anger is a warning light. It's an indicator that something under the hood of our lives needs attention. So look at what David says in verse 21. After going on this, this verbal rampage in his prayer, openly acknowledging to the Lord his anger, absolutely, he was going for it there and acknowledging to the Lord. Then notice what David writes, verse 21. But you, sovereign Lord, help me for your name's sake. Out of the goodness of your love, deliver me. For I am poor and needy, and my heart is wounded within me. My heart is wounded within me. See, David is looking within. He is looking at his own heart and he realizing that underneath all his anger is a heart wound. He feels rejected. He feels hurt. I mean, his very own friends have turned against him. <clears throat> so his anger here is actually rooted in a very real and uh, raw wound in his heart. <clears throat> See, here's the reality, folks. It's a lot easier to feel angry than it is to feel sad. It is a lot easier to feel angry than it is to feel hurt, especially for us men. Guys here, we get anger. Every one of us here, we get anger. We easily feel that emotion. In fact, sometimes, sometimes we subconsciously use anger as a protective barrier around our heart that keeps us from looking at what's actually causing our anger. Again, it's just a whole lot easier to be angry than it is to feel the sadness of a parent who abandoned us or who abused us. It's a whole lot easier to be angry than it is to grieve the death of a friend or the loss of a job or the death of a dream. See, initially, anger feels really productive, <laughs> right? It feels so productive, but it actually is not because it actually pushes us away from looking at the pain within our heart or other issues that may be causing the anger. So in my devotional reading this past week, I was just going through kind of one year Bible like I do, and, and I read this crazy story. I happened to be in Numbers um, read this crazy story in Numbers about a guy named Balaam who is asked by the king of Moab to curse the Israelites. They're traveling through. King of Moab wants Balaam. He wants to hire him to actually speak a curse on the Israelites as they're moving through. And God tells Balaam, God tells Balaam, don't do it. Don't do it. But he goes anyway. Balaam goes anyway. And on the way, he has some men with him. On the way, God sends this angel to stand in the road to block Balaam from going forward. But Balaam doesn't see the angel. He doesn't see the angel. However, his donkey does. His donkey does. And so his donkey is going along and he sees this angel of the Lord and he freaks out. And so he runs off the path and Balaam doesn't see the angel. So he just beats that donkey and gets him back on the path. But the angel is still there. So the donkey's kind of going a little bit like this. And there he is again. He sees the angel. He does the same thing. He just bolts off the path. It ticks Balaam off. He beats this animal again to get him back on the road. And it happens again a third time. The, the donkey bolts off the path. Balaam just is enraged. And he beats his donkey to get him back on the path. So finally, and this is the weird part, God gives this donkey the ability to speak. 
And here's what he says. I wish I could do Eddie Murphy, but I can't. Okay. Uh, so this is just, this is what we got here. This is what the donkey says. What have I done to you to make you beat me these three times? And notice Balaam's answer. Balaam answered the donkey, you have made a fool of me. If only I had a sword in my hand, I would kill you right now. Why is Balaam angry? He doesn't have, it's not that he has anger issues. Why is Balaam angry? It's because he's embarrassed in front of the other men who were traveling with him. He couldn't control his own donkey. He was embarrassed. His, his anger was not the root issue. It was masking something. His anger was masking something else. His anger was rooted in his concerns about what other people thought of him. And it blinded him in this moment. We read it and think, oh my goodness, he, he, he blinded him. He wanted to kill his own donkey. His own donkey. He was ready to kill his own donkey. That's what anger does. It blinds us in the moment. This had to happen in like, a minute, like two and a half minutes, three minutes here. This whole thing was happening. It blinds us in the moment and it causes us to do things that are, that are hurtful. So now check out what the donkey says <laughs> next here. Am I not your own donkey, which you have always ridden to this day? Have I been in the habit of doing this to you? No. He says. So Balaam's having a conversation with the donkey, right? Um, and, and, the, and the donkey is actually way more reasonable here. The, the donkey is the rational one here. It's the reasonable one here. The donkey just calmly, ex he just calmly exposes how anger has blinded Balaam to reality. Have I not faithfully served you all these years? And yet in two minutes, you're ready to kill me. Because you don't see this angel, and I saw the angel. He was ready to kill his faithful donkey. See, when we get angry, that anger is a symptom. It's always a symptom of something else going on. It's masking something else. It could be fear. A lot of times our anger is rooted in fear. I'm afraid of what other people think of me. I think this is the political anger. A lot of that, it's fear. It's rooted in fear. I'm afraid of what's going to happen to our country. I'm afraid of rejection. I'm afraid of this. I'm afraid of that. I'm afraid of losing influence. And it causes us to feel anger. Anger can also be caused by, by hurt, by pain, by grief, by feeling trapped in a situation, by failure, by a loss of control. I mean, at work, everyone does what I tell them to do. But at home, my three-year-old won't do what I tell her to do, right? Or him to do. I mean, what, that can cause anger. At work, everyone does what I want. At home, it's not happening, right? There could be some anger. Another cause of anger is unmet expectations. Oh, man, how many marriages, just I'm going to apply this for a moment. How many marriages are being destroyed by anger? But anger is not the root problem. Anger is not the root problem. The root problem is unmet expectations. And not just unmet expectations, unexpressed expectations. 
And when those expectations aren't met, even though they're not expressed, they're not met for tenderness or for time together or for the house to be picked up or for sexual intimacy or whatever. When those expectations are not met, that anger just builds, just builds and builds and builds. And like, you know, this contempt creeps in, just creates this poisonous atmosphere. Unexpressed expectations are the silent killers of relationships. They're the silent killers of relationships. See, our anger builds and our spouse doesn't know why. They just sense the anger. They don't know why because we haven't told them what our expectations are and talk through those things. And then it just explodes and everyone's left picking up the pieces. How about we just acknowledge our expectations and we actually talk about them? We talk about them with our spouse rather than just assuming they should know. And then getting angry when they don't do what they didn't realize was an expectation because we never told them it was an expectation. But that's another sermon. What am I doing here? Okay, uh, so, so the, the only way to deal with our anger, whatever the cause, is to look beneath. To realize it's masking something else. Look beneath the surface. Look under the hood. Look into your heart and begin to discern what's causing this anger. So Psalm 4.4, another psalm, very interesting verse. Psalm 4.4, David says this, be angry. Be angry. Some of you are like, okay, I'm going to memorize that verse. I'm going to stop right there. Just be angry. Great. No, notice he says, be angry and do not sin. And then look, ponder in your own hearts on your beds and be silent. Very interesting. Two things that are really interesting here. Be angry, but don't sin in that anger. In other words, anger in and of itself is not sinful. It's not sinful in and of itself. It's how we respond to that potentially that, that potentially makes it sinful. And so how do we respond? Look at what David says here. By pondering in your heart what's causing this anger. Be angry, but don't sin. How? By pondering in your heart. Take time to figure out what is going on in your heart. Be silent. In other words, take time to figure out what's going on in here. Okay, so look beneath. Get to the root of the anger. Now, if this is all new to you, and for many, for, for many of us men, I, this, is, this is like, I mean, guys tend to not be in tune with our emotions very well. So this may be like totally new territory. Don't feel guilty about that. I'm not embarrassing you or anything. It's just, it, it, it's okay. You don't have to be embarrassed about that. You're, this is kind of new or it's kind of hard for you. God, I believe part of the purpose of the anger is to get you to look, to see the devastation and say, I got to do it. I got to look at this. And so it's a, in a sense, it's a grace from God to realize there's something going on and then just get some help. I would strongly encourage you to see a, a licensed Christian counselor. If there's a good friend of yours that really kind of gets this world, a guy friend that gets this world can help you just identify some of the root issues of your anger. We, have, we as a church have some different resources, ministries as well. If you'd like to just explore these things, call the church office, or you can also email, just send an email to info at cccgreeley.org, and we'll make sure it just gets to the right person. Okay, so, so once you've acknowledged your anger and we've looked beneath to discover the root cause of our anger, there's one other critical step to take here, and that is to look to Jesus now, I know that's often the typical answer in church, right? Oh, here we go again. Look to Jesus. That's the answer for everything. Um, and, and it probably sounds maybe a little simplistic, maybe too simplistic. But I'm gonna, let me unpack what I'm talking about here. 
because this is really important as it relates to the specific area of anger, because absolutely essential. If think about this, if anger always has its root in some other emotion or experience, then we need something or someone who can meet us in that place and provide what our heart is craving, what our heart is needing. Anger's up here, we look beneath. We need someone or something that can help us at this, in this place, right? See, a lot of people deal with their anger by not looking below the surface. Again, it's just too painful. And so here's what they do. We all kind of do this probably at times. We, we choose to deal with our anger by subconsciously just trying to numb the pain. Stay busy, binge on Netflix, video games, get drunk, get high, look at porn, any way to escape, any way to feel better. <clears throat> now, again, often this is something we do subconsciously. It's not that, oh, I'm identifying, I've got grief here, but I don't want to deal with that, so I'm going to do this. No, usually it's just this, we do, we're experiencing the anger, and we're not looking beneath, so then the natural response is, I don't want to feel like this, I just feel a lot better if I just go do this, right? Okay, that's what happens. <clears throat> and again, it just feels easier. It's just a much easier pathway. Just go do some of these things rather than acknowledging, okay, what's going on here? My insecurity, my fear, all that stuff. And unfortunately, when we do turn to these other things to numb our pain, they do a really lousy job. They do a really lousy job to give us any sense of wholeness and help. In fact, as I heard someone say recently, often the things that we run to end up running us. And that, that's part of the problem. We get addicted to the adrenaline rush, the high that these things bring, right? But our hurt, our fear, our grief, all this stuff, all these things that are causing our anger, those things are never addressed. And it just kind of pulls us further into the addiction. And so honestly, sometimes our anger and our addiction are just doing this. They both are just increasing because we're just trying to mask this and that makes us more angry. It just, yeah. So if you think you're just gonna grow out of this, Maybe you're 20-something and you just say, oh, I'll get out of it. Once I get a job, a real job, you know, I'll just, this stuff, I'll get out of it. No, no, no. If you think you're just going to grow out of these things, if you think that time is just going to heal all wounds and time's going to take care of this, I urge you to wake up and see the damage that this is and will cause in your life. It's not just going to go away. It's not. So David gives us this powerful alternative to numbing the pain. David moves toward God with his pain. Look again at verse 21. But you, sovereign Lord, help me for your name's sake. Out of the goodness of your love, deliver me, for I am poor and needy, and my heart is wounded within me. See, in the midst of this heart wound, this rejection, this insecurity David, that David's feeling, he turns to the Lord, right? He, he looks to God. And I want you to notice here how he refers to God. In your Bible, you may notice that the word Lord is in all capital letters. That's significant. That tells you something about the Hebrew that's you, the word, the Hebrew word that's being translated Lord. Because there are other words that can be translated Lord. That would be capital L and then lowercase O-R-D. But if you see L-O-R-D in all capital, that is important. That refers to the covenant name of God. The personal name God gave himself when he revealed himself to Moses. It's made up of four consonants, Y-H-W-H. -H. We refer to it as Yahweh. So what does this name mean? I am. Well, I'm what? I am what? I am whatever you need. 
I am whatever you need. You feel rejected? I'm the one who loves you forever. You feel afraid of what other people think of you? I'm the God who accepts you. Do you feel lonely? I'm the God who is with you always. You feel guilty? I'm the God who forgives sin. You feel sad? I'm the God who comforts you. I am fill in the blank. I am whatever you need. Now think about that name in light of the conversation we just had a moment ago about the possible causes of anger. Fear, you know, grief, guilt, failure, loss, etc. So here, here, here's what David discovered. It doesn't matter which item on the list is causing your anger. It doesn't matter. Because the I am the God who created you is able to be what you need because he's the I am. <laughs> he's able to be what you need. His love is real. It's unending. He heals the brokenhearted. He lifts the spirit of the downcast. He is here for you and he longs to meet you in that place, whatever that place is, where your anger and my anger is rooted. So when we turn to Jesus to meet us in these places of pain, these places where our anger is rooted, here's what he does. He, it's like he opens the valve of the beach ball that we've been trying to keep submerged. He opens the valve. So in his love, all the anger and the rage and these things that are, you know, that, that are feeling that, all those things, they begin to get released from our heart. Not immediately. If you ever tried to, it doesn't happen immediately. It's just, it just, right? And it, it doesn't happen in a moment. But these things, they begin to be released. These things that we've tried to keep submerged and they dramatically, you know, pop out every once in a while. In Jesus, they, they find healing and wholeness, right? Now, here's the deal. This is more than just a pipe dream. And, it, you know, it's more than some psychological whatever. Here, here, here's why. When Jesus hung on the cross, he took upon himself the anger of God towards our sin, the wrath of God towards sin. God poured out upon Jesus his judgment upon sin, his righteous anger. And not only that, while Jesus was hanging on the cross, you know, he endured all sorts of people talking smack, right? All sorts of people making fun of him and mocking him in anger. And Jesus experienced the anger of God and the anger of the world directed towards him. Why did he do that? So that you and I could escape God's wrath upon our sin and also so that we could experience a love that can never be taken away from us. So that we could be in a personal relationship with the God of the universe. I mean, think of that. Because of the cross... We can experience God's love rather than his anger at our sin. And that love has the power to transform us, to transform us in the way that we deal with our anger. See, Jesus offers us this reservoir of love. It's an ocean. It is always there. It's this reservoir of love that can bring healing to these broken places in us. These places where anger has been a protective shield for some of us. But Jesus' loves for, Jesus love frees us to lay the shield down. To lay the shield down. And just to let in his love. It's so powerful. I love how the psalm ends. David writes, verse 31, 
For God stands at the right hand of the needy to save their lives from those who would condemn them. This is, this is what God has done for us in Christ. Because of the cross and the resurrection, Jesus stands at the right hand of the needy. <laughs> he is close. He is accessible. And he offers us unending love and freedom rather than condemnation and bondage. That's the choice we have. We can ignore or vent our anger and let it continue to destroy us and everything around us. We can, we can do that. Or we can turn to Jesus in our anger and let him provide the healing and the wholeness that our hearts long for. Let's pray. So I want us to just to quiet our hearts for a moment. There are a couple of responses I want to lead us into here. First of all, I want, I want to just invite anyone here who has never entered into a relationship with Jesus to do that. You don't have to clean up your life. It's not about going to church or whatever. It's, just, it's about admitting your need, admitting your sin, and placing your trust in Jesus. So if you would like to enter into a relationship with Jesus, your sins are forgiven, he comes to live in you and change you from the inside, then just pray along with me in the silence of your heart. Dear God, I admit I'm a sinner, and my sin separates me from you. But I don't want to be separated from you. I believe Jesus died on the cross, for my sin and I choose to place my trust in you Jesus I ask you to come live in me changing me from the inside out through the power of your love so God I pray for anyone who prayed that prayer help them grow in this amazing relationship with you now, for others here, the other response, let me just ask you this. What is God saying to you right now about this issue of anger? So where, either, where has anger been surfacing in your life or where is it being stuffed in your heart? And now what I want you to just to think about here, the question is, what is Jesus, what is Jesus asking you to do about that? What is Jesus asking you to do about that? So Holy Spirit, we, we want to go there because anger is destroying so many things that we hold dear. It's causing us to be people we don't even really like. We don't even want to be. And so I pray, we pray, Holy Spirit, you would speak to us about this area. Let us know what Jesus is asking us to do. So what we'd like to do here, because I know this is kind of a heavy topic, we want to just give you space 
even as the worship begins in a moment, just to give you space to respond what, to what Jesus is saying. You can pray, you can ponder, you can confess if you need to do that. You can look beneath your anger. So as the song begins, there's no hurry at all to say, oh, I've got to shut that. I'm just going to start singing. We, we, it's okay just to... Just to, um, you can stand, you can sit or whatever, but to be in this place and just say, Jesus, what do you want me to do? What are you saying to me here? And so we encourage you, just this environment here of, of worshiping, but also praying and processing. So, so Holy Spirit, we welcome you just to do your work in us as we respond, as we process, as we pray, as we sing. We're, we're here and we want you to speak to us about this area. And what are you, show us what you're wanting us to do in response to your word. Thank you, Lord.